and I've been stuck coming back through that channel with, you know, perfect storm-like conditions, except the sky is sunny, and the wind's blowing 45 knots from the north, and I got swells coming from the north, the east, and the south, all about 12 to 16 foot, and I'm driving up waves for three seconds up the wave, and then coming down, bow, getting flooded by the next wave. That's Greg Lewandowski talking story of rough seas around the island of Kauai with me, Josh Peterson, on this Ocean Life podcast. Born in Poland and raised in the cold ocean waters of Maine, Greg Lewandowski began scuba diving at age nine, running boats, and developing a strong love for being in the ocean at a really young age. Today, he takes us through his stories of living and working across the Caribbean, running scuba diving charters, fishing, and freediving in Kauai, his artistic approach to photography, and memorable moments with whales, sharks, manta rays, monk seals, and much more. You can find Greg on Instagram by his handle, at SeafeverH2O, and we can all cut way down on our plastic usage to help protect the environment and some of our favorite ocean animals we hear about today. Enjoy. Greg, one of the things about you that struck me as we were just chatting, you know, I, I'm always on Instagram looking at folks, seeing what we're up to. And by and large, most folks are like pretty focused on one, two, maybe three things in the ocean. Yeah, this is kind of a generalization. But what struck me about you is, dude, you do a lot of different stuff, man. And so start by just kind of listing off the different things you do in the ocean today. Uh, well, I'm a captain for a dive company, so do scuba diving. I've done scuba diving my whole life, so it's kind of just what I've been doing. But especially recently, I've been going back to my roots and then also kind of exploring different different stuff. I've, I've gotten into spearfishing and freediving, which I find more of a challenge. And then I love fishing. I started out as a kid fishing from shore and in ponds and lakes and the ocean and then now I'm trawling and I'm making my own lures, you know, doing anything from freediving, spearfishing, regular fishing, scuba diving, conservation stuff, and just anything with the ocean. Rad, man. I can relate, dude. There's so much, so many rad things to do in the water. There's not enough time or money <laughs> to do it all, man, but I, I like the whole thing. But you need to do all these things from your home base on Kauai, is that right? Yep, uh, South Shore, Kauai mainly. We're just a little speck out in the middle of the ocean, so that's that's all there is. That's what surrounds us. Yeah, what a perfect spot for someone to with so much interest for, for being in the water. So then, I mean, talk about, you touched on a little bit, but kind of rewind. I mean, is that where you're from, and did you grow up in the water out there? Uh, I was born in Poland, actually. I grew up in Boston and spent... You know, my childhood are in and around the water, especially uh, spent summers down in Newport, Rhode Island, which is a big sailing community. I never saw warm water till I was 15 years old. I started scuba diving at 9, 10. I just always dove cold water. My dad and I got certified together because I was always watching the National Geographic and Jacques Cousteau and Sea Hunt and Mike Nelson and all that. And then I wanted to scuba dive and my dad and I got certified. I did cold water for a long time and then I finally found Roatan in Honduras and it blew my mind so I was like that's what I want to do. <laughs> Dude how was that? I mean I remember too growing up in Santa Cruz where the water's cold and the first like interaction with warm water it's like a it's like a totally different world man how was it for you when you're 15 
after spending a solid six plus years diving on the East Coast? What was that like in Honduras for you? Just trip out? It was it was crazy. All I, one thing I remember it was a group trip. I, I worked at a at the local dive shop in New England, mass diving um, in like Natick, Massachusetts. It's one of the biggest shops in in the New England area. But I, I went on a group trip with them and my old man. The one memory that's most vivid is my first time in super clear water going into this shipwreck of a sailboat that was, it's got a keel, so it's tipped on its side. And you actually, it's at like 100 foot, 30 meters. You go down and you're in this sailboat and you're swimming through. And all the doors and the openings are, you know, at a 45 degree angle or so because of the keel and the way it's sunk. And you're just swimming through those between being deep and having a little bit of nitrogen narcosis hmm. and also just everything surrounding you and all the pressure. You're going through these doorways at 45 degree angle and you try to right yourself up and then you get complete like vertigo. I saw, I, it was like I was tripping on acid. I saw like the walls <laughs> bending and the, the doorways opening and widening and it just you got to <laughs> focus yourself and be like, all right, look at my bubbles. My bubbles are going up experience i i had that changed my mind into being like i don't care how much money i make which is not much i'm going to be a dive instructor wow so that was it so that hit you when you're 15 yeah wow and so take us from there man i mean how, how did what did, how did you pursue that next and then lead up into how you landed on Kauai? i did my dive master course and i, I started out as a dive master i mean it's like an indentured servant life as a dive master. And so you're a scuba dive master. You just do all the work. And I did my course with the Navy guys up in, uh, up in New England for mass diving. And then I eventually, I mean, I was sick of the cold and I was craving that warm tropical life. So, uh, like 17, 18 years old, I, I graduated high school. I did my dive master cert and I left my job as a personal trainer and a bunch of other side jobs I did. And I moved down to the Caribbean, and I uh, spent about six, seven years in the Caribbean, everywhere from St. Martin, Grand Cayman, uh, Turks and Caicos, working at Club Med, working at a lot of really great dive shops and dive operations down there, octopus diving in St. Martin, doing technical diving and teaching tech stuff and decompression diving. And then before that, I got my, I, it, it didn't take long before I went from dive master to instructor to, you know, MSDT and tech instructor and all that. And then last place I was in the Caribbean, I was uh, at Club Med, Turks and Caicos, and I was the compressor mechanic and uh, equipment technician and dive instructor there. And uh, it was great. It was good fun. Seafari Bahamas and Seafari Turks and Caicos, the company. I ended up leaving there. I didn't renew my season. And when I left there, it was spring in uh, in the Caribbean or in every every northern hemisphere. And that's their uh, summers, their slow season. So there was no one in the Caribbean really hiring. However, in Hawaii, it's our busy season, summertime. So I just jumped on the Patty Classifieds. I looked for work and I got a call from a shop in Kauai and never heard of Kauai. Didn't know. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, it's in Hawaii. It's, is that one of the islands? I had no clue. Never <laughs> intended on coming to Hawaii. Never planned to go here. Didn't ever like strive to go here. I just I followed the money and needed work, and I jumped on a plane, flew halfway around the world. Yeah, this is the longest place I've ever lived in my adult life. I used to just be an itchy-footed vagabond and jump around, and I've been here for about going on six years now. 
Yeah, that's cool, man. Kauai kind of does it to people. I have a bunch of friends, three or four families who in Santa Cruz, they went to Kauai to check it out and just like found home, you know? And so I think it kind of does that. It's got that stickiness. It's definitely, there's definitely a sort of a lure and there's a lot of, there's very few places in the mainland and in America and even in the whole world that still have a sort of mysticism to them. Mm. And uh, Kauai definitely has that. It has a life of its own. It has a mind of its own. When I first moved here, I had a friend who lived here, my buddy Trevor, who told me one of the most wisdom-filled things I've ever heard on this island. And it's Kauai either accepts you or it doesn't. And Kauai is the kind of place where it's you come here and you can either be blessed or you can be blessed and then given trials and tribulations or you can be completely like revoked from the island i've seen people who have come here and have ended up in good spots and the island is kind of like telling them like i don't want you here and luckily luckily enough i've left twice and came back and luckily enough i've actually feel like i've been accepted by Kauai, and it's it's not mine it's the hawaiians the hawaiians are everything they were on this land a lot longer than us the hollies the white people but It, it's a gift to actually come here and stay here, but it, it's also getting kind of overpopulated too. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. That's rad that you kind of left, came back and just realized that you have a spot there, you know, and, and then being humble too and appreciating that, you know, that that's rad, you know, cause we all move around from different places. And when you land somewhere and recognize that, you don't own it just because you rent someplace or bought a house or whatever, you know, it takes time to ease in and be accepted from the whole community, but also just the environment and everything. And then for you being in the ocean, I mean, that's a big part of it too. It's like, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening in the water that you're into day to day. And so, you know, first, I mean, talk about just like with running boats and everything, you know, was that part of your kind of upbringing on the East coast, which is kind of a, where you were kind of a famous boat spot. Is that something you adopted just being on the water, running scuba stuff? No. Yeah. I, Remember, I was little, and we went down to Rhode Island. We'd always been like, we never owned boats, but we rented boats, and you know everything from renting speed boats and going out and taking out a rental for a day or whatever, or just even me being stuck on an inflatable boat that my mother told me to take my cousin out fishing on in a <laughs> shipping channel, and we got stuck and towed back by the U.S. Coast Guard. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, I just, I was always trying to get on the water i i've always had like a deep seated thing in my brain where it's like get your feet on the water get off the land and so i'm more comfortable out there some days i have days where i don't want to be there but deep inside i definitely do so I, what i tell my tourists and stuff is like i don't i don't get seasick obviously i'd be horrible at my job if i did but I never get motion sickness, but I do get what I like to call motion aggression. <laughs> Sometimes I'll be sitting on the boat, divers are underwater, and I'm trying to like look on my phone or trying to read my book, and I'm just rocking back and forth. And the, the motion of the way, it just pisses me off. I just get, I'm over it. I'm like, stop it. Sometimes I yell at the ocean. Sometimes I tell it problems, you know, I... I do get frustrated with it sometimes, but it's that same kind of thing where it's like, I, I hate it. And I love it. Yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. And part of what you're doing too, I mean, running boats, it's like, it sounds great. You're, you know, running boats around, but there's another side too. And there's some cool pictures of you on Instagram, like getting 
oily wrenching on stuff you know and fiberglassing boats and fixing because boats are like they're like houses they just they wear over time and motors you need just a lot of maintenance how did you learn to get it and wrench on a diesel motor and do all the other parts of a boat well boats fall apart way quicker than houses the acronym <laughs> bust out another thousand and yeah they're always falling apart and it's like the i don't know it's the same thing from when i was living in caribbean and i was living in remote areas and it's like you know, you're in third world countries where I there is no local mechanic. There is no friend to come help you out. You got to figure it out or you don't make money. And so, I mean, I my 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 folks and my my old man, they taught me so much and I'm so appreciative. But where they were teaching me was ocean stuff and diving and being around the sea and having a good life. And I kind of had to learn mechanics and stuff on my own. And it just turned out that, you know, being poor enough where I couldn't afford to go to a mechanic and have them fix a water pump or this and that, and then just learning mechanics and then applying that to boats and being more more useful to the places I work. It was just kind of like every time, every chance I had to do the dirty stuff and do the stuff that nobody else wanted to do, I took that as a learning opportunity and uh, would jump right into it and you know what, if I didn't know what something was, someone said the heat exchanger, and I sounded like an idiot, because I was like, what's the heat exchanger? <laughs> I found out. You know what, I, you know what, I, was, I wasn't shy to be like, I don't know what this is, and I want to learn. And I just ended up gathering a bunch of knowledge. I'm 30 years old now, I'm not old, I'm not young, i am got a pretty good idea of how an engine runs and what the normal fixes are. And, it's just all it takes is just asking questions from people who do know. Yeah. And there's a lot of satisfaction from my perspective and knowing that stuff too. And having fishing boats in the past and working on boats a little bit in my past is like even scrubbing boats, man. Like I just think they're, they're, they're beautiful things, you know, cause they take you out into the, the other world yeah. away from land that we all just like crave, you know? And so like, there's like, I just love, I love the names of boats. I love the history of boats, but also just like scrubbing them. And then the satisfaction you get everything yeah. yeah that's right and then the satisfaction you get when you can keep them healthy you know and i don't know i i think some people are you're either that's cool with you and you're you you like there's a bit of passion to like keeping boats running and and working well and others just want to jump on when that's totally cool too but uh i mean <laughs> for you day to day man that's part of what you do i i've always had a theory that the sea calls all men and only few respond because it's it's not always glorious it's not always conducive to your life it can be life-threatening it can be dangerous it can be unexpected and unpredictable but it's like it's a thrill that everyone's called to but some people actually jump on it and go yeah yeah dude well said man well said <laughs> so like what boats like today you're running trips you know scuba trips what talk about that boat that you can operate today uh right now i'm on a 38 foot uh twin diesel kind of manufactured fishing boat that's rigged up for diving now uh, with Fathom 5 Scuba and Koi. And uh, I used to work for Seasport, which has also got a great operation going. Um, and they have a 50-foot a uh, Pro 48. We're one of the few companies that goes out to Niihau, which is the mm. westernmost of the main Hawaiian Islands. And that's where the fantastic diving is, fantastic experiences. It's uh, probably, it's world-class diving. It's probably like one of the top 25 spots in the world that nobody knows about. Yeah. 
Um, and there's only three companies, three, four companies that actually go out there and visit the island. And we dive around a volcanic crater that has like big sharks, monk seals, one of the last places to see the Hawaiian like endangered monk seals, big bait balls and big schools of pelagic fish and just vertical drop off walls. And it's just, it's. Wow crazy out there that's one of the things that has kept me on Kauai if I if it wasn't for Nihau I would have probably just moved on and jumped to another spot um, but we get the whales in the winter and then the monk seals in the summer and it's just crazy going out there and to die it's just phenomenal oh man it's just yeah epic I mean and so how far of a run is that for you guys to to get out there from point to point, Kauai to Niihau is uh, 17 nautical miles, okay. but from our harbor, uh, where we set off from, it's 36 nautical miles. And it's mainly go in the summer because we have the south swells, not the large north swells, so it makes it much safer to go in the summertime. But we will run in the winter when the weather's permit, but it is, it's a rough crossing. Basically, when you're in the channel between Kauai and Niihau, the next land north is the arctic and the next land south is the antarctic oh, it's whoa. open ocean so you're in that channel and i've been stuck in some really dicey situations where the weather's wrong because the weather's channels all base their um algorithms off of oahu and big island Kauai is so smallly populated that we don't really have a proper algorithm for our island. So the weather, you really got to watch like five different weather channels and then base your opinions off of that. And then those weather channels are wrong. All your opinions are wrong. And I've been stuck coming back through that channel with, you know, perfect storm-like conditions, except the sky is sunny and the wind's blowing 45 knots from the north. And I got swells coming from the north, the east, and the south all about 12 to 16 foot and i'm driving up waves for three seconds up the wave and then coming down about getting flooded by the next wave underwater and it's just i had my whole crew just scared like my crew not even the customers yeah <laughs> my crew has come up to me and been like holy shit are we gonna make it and I'm like, fine. Just like confidence and <laughs> you know even if you don't think you'll be fine, you got to just believe it in your head and make it happen as a captain, as you know, the head of the vessel. And it's responsibility that kind of pushes you to make your decisions. Yeah, dude, that's heavy. I never heard about that channel being so intense. I never really heard about that channel in general. All my kind of frame of reference out there is like between Molokai and Oahu and the, that, that stretch and Maui and stuff. So you guys are basically like you mentioned, you're getting, you're wide open North and South. And so, and with zero kind of data behind sort of, like you said, the algorithms or the predictions for the weather to you go for it and you might have got it wrong because there's a lot of different factors and just getting caught out there, man. So dude, that's just <laughs> gnarly. <laughs> you got to, Always assume that you're going blind. I yeah. Mean, use all the all the forecasts and check all the weather stations, and you can get an idea. But if they're wrong and they can be wrong, you're basically you got to deal with what you get, and that's right. basically what I mean. From starting out from a new captain to being a salty old sea dog at my uh, younger age, it's <laughs> like you learn to just be like, you know what, I'm. You can't worry about it. You got to go out and you know what? You deal with what you get. You yep. can you can pray and hope and get lucky sometimes for the best weather. 
But if you're not in the best weather, you still got to get home. You got to get the people home. Do and then confidence in your vessels like super key. And so for you who you don't just step on the boat, turn it on, and take people somewhere and deal with stuff. You also like you know you know the boat because you're the one working on it too. And I think there's a key part of that because it's like belief in your equipment, in any whatever it is, but also belief in your boat is gonna. There's a that helps you as the as the captain kind of stay positive when you know your vessel, you know what she can take, you know the motor, you've been seeing it. You know, there's that's a I think a key aspect of getting through heavy stuff like that. Uh, there, yeah, they, like that's a huge aspect of it. But I mean, I won't lie. There's also days where I get lazy and I don't check anything, and I'm just like, <laughs> and I just, I just, that's it's when faith alone just goes. And it's yep. just like whatever. The oil, I hope it's, I hope it's good. I, I, <laughs> I think it's good. Whatever. I want to go home and go to sleep. But there, there definitely are those days. But yeah, I mean. It's also the the long term is more important. Like I do know the throttles, I know the revs, I know where the sending gauge doesn't work, and I can't push it past a certain like rev point. And you definitely get once you're on a boat for more than a few weeks. If you're a savvy engine boat kind of person, you you do get to get a feel for it. Like I know, I know how many people I can have on my starboard side before it starts listening. Yeah too much i know how how high i need to put the revs up to get 16 knots and and boats honestly very few boats out there are completely sound and very few captains out there have boats where they get on and they're completely confident in all honesty every captain you talk to will probably have some little issue that they're worried about and it's it's about knowing how to handle it if something goes wrong and just going on faith and adrenaline i guess yeah yeah for sure man boats are work just boats are working problems <laughs> it's true very true so kind of back to you know you described the area around Nihihau and how just the wildlife's incredible spending you know some years out there now i mean talk about the animals that kind of your favorite animals that you interact with you know personally the ones that you really enjoy seeing and spending time with underwater uh i love i mean the monk seals are awesome and they're they're just big hams like the monk seals are so funny they'll um they'll basically they're like prima donnas they if you come up to them and basically we always tell people not to stare because it's a really threatening gesture and so when you look at something or put your camera in front of something it's kind of like my dive master jordan like we're like the rock stars of how we do all the charters and he's a uh, he always says, like, if I was walking down an alley and I had, like, five people with cameras come and just start staring at me, I would be freaked out and I would run away. And that's how the monks still feel. And so you kind of tell people not to stare and not to eyeball them. But they're like, it's like they don't want you to look at them. But then when you're looking at something else, like a small thing on the reef, they'll come right up behind you and they'll be like, what are you looking at? Why are you not attention to me? What what are you looking at? Why aren't you looking at me? <laughs> they their personalities are awesome. And then I love the sharks. And we've had a uh, in the last few years we've recently found a uh, oceanic black tip Hawaiian black tip shark that has been coming around. He's a big shark. He's a really really big boy. And uh, we have our residential sandbars and the gray reefs. Um, the gray reefs actually popped like two years ago. And around one of our dive sites, it's more of a topography site. We don't usually see big stuff there. It's a lot of caves and swim-throughs and lava rock formations. And there was actually about 45 baby gray reef sharks 
that were there for a whole summer. Oh, it's epic. There were five parents, and you could come out of this giant cave that we call the TV cave, because when you're in it and you look out, it's like a perfect rectangle square, and it looks all blue just from the from the light and the water, and it looks like a blue TV screen. So we come out of this big TV cave, and there's, for trips and trips on end, there were 45 or so uh, baby reef sharks that I jump in, and I've, I've hand-fed them before and just played around with them. It was crazy. <laughs> that's so cool i mean that must be so i mean a for us the people who spend a lot of time in the ocean to see that you get amped but for like taking your your clients out you know who just might not spend as much time in the water to see something like that's like extra special yeah you're always super stoked when you have like something amazing that you're excited about and then your people with you it's like and that's why pretty much everyone i feel like pretty much everyone in the dive industry that's why we get into the industry it's definitely not the money because we don't make a lot yeah uh, it's definitely not the work because we work our asses off, but it's like the more you're in the ocean, the more chances you have to see some amazing, epic action that you're never going to see anywhere else. You know, you can risk it and be a recreational diver and just go on vacations and hope you get lucky. But my idea was the more time I spend in the water, the more chances I have of seeing this awesome stuff and having these amazing encounters. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's true. And then for you, I mean, if you had to pick, which is a tough question or th- tough thing to do, like one most memorable encounter for you with an animal in the water, could you could you pick that? Oh, easily, easily. When I was in Turks and Caicos, we had one day where we were going out to uh, West, West Point. There were a bunch of whales and me and one of my other dive instructors uh we were just diving we we're guiding dives on the boat the captain slowed down and we saw a humpback whale we jumped in the water with it and it was just epic and then on the way back from our dive site after our two dives uh there was another there was a juvenile almost adult male humpback whale that was just floating in the water and we all j- jumped in and i basically was arm's length from it and its eyeball oh and I was, I was free diving. I just had mass snorkel fins and I was floating there and it didn't move. It wasn't scared. It wasn't hesitant. I basically floated there in the water at the surface, arm's length away from this humpback whale's eyeball. And just, we just looked at each other and that eyeball is the size of a dinner plate. And yeah. it was what I tell people is it was the most amazing conversation I've ever had. And not a word was spoken yep. because you see into that whale's eyeball and you think what like what's going on in that giant brain back there, and it, five five minutes we just sat there and stared at each other. That was the pinnacle. That was to this moment the most amazing experience and encounter I've ever had. Yeah, man. Oh, I would I give up everything I have to do something like that. That's that's insane. I mean, and you, you think about too like the the other side of that equation which is what he was thinking looking at you you know probably the same like what is this thing and just kind of communing you know i think that's just to be able to like remark upon sort of that communing aspect of it which is what you're saying i i I just love any and all stories of that you know with that now and kind of tied to that you know i have this weird kind of obsession these days after reading some stuff recently about like manta rays and and like people's interaction with these things and there's a cool david ocho is this like kind of world spearfishing guide has this epic story of, of freeing a manta from like a bunch of ropes 
and then just basically the manta coming to him and just like in its own way thanking him and playing with him in the water etc so for you guys where you're at you see mantas as well i mean how did how is that interaction where you are with those guys uh it's that's the same thing it's incredible i mean it's it's amazing when you have a large being that actually i mean people we learn more and more about the ocean every day and the more we learn the more we realize we know nothing yeah and um and mantas especially they come around here in the um in the winter time winter time is generally our rainy season so all the runoff drags nutrients out from the land Kauai being the oldest of the Hawaiian Islands, um, it's got a lot of had had a lot of time to develop dirt and you know, the red dirt and the nutrients on the island. So that all washes out, and the mantas come in in the winter time. In the summertime, they kind of stay farther offshore where they feed on krill and small pelagic algae and stuff. In the summertime, in the winter time, rather, they come around closer to shore and that's when we usually see them and if i can i mean it's it's the same thing with like the spinner dolphins they don't they don't love humans but sometimes when you see them and you know them and you know their actions and attitudes sometimes they're in moods where they're kind of more playful and friendly and then if i get that opportunity i'll usually always let my people jump in and and swim with them and sometimes I've had mantas that have just swam around in circles at the surface and I've had snorkelers in the water and getting to interact with them and they'll be super friendly. And it's like, there's some people that talk about, you know, it's like you're harassing wildlife, but if you know anything about the ocean, you know that if they don't want to be seen, they won't be seen. Yeah. If they want to play with you, then they'll come up. And if they're not bothered by you, it's their choice. Like there's, there's no, in no way are you, bothering anything <laughs> yeah <laughs> so if it wants to go away it's got a million places to hide and it's all open blue water yeah man, good point good point now one of the cool things too i'm seeing you know that you're up to is you're super fishy man i mean you I, I, yeah like so many rad pictures of you holding these giant ono oh or for other folks like yeah. wahoos dude i mean are you like fishy for those things or what they seem you seem to attract them yeah, we, we like getting onos here in Kauai. Uh, it's it's really not a popular fish anywhere else. I don't I don't believe like they don't sell it generally in stores or anything, but mm-hmm. they're delicious. Ono in Hawaiian literally translates to delicious and that's oh. what the fish is called. And they're awesome. They're an awesome white flaky fish and you know, we always hope for the ahis and we want the big yellow fins, but we'll drag lines and we'll the owners are pretty plentiful they generally travel in pairs so if you get one you cruise over the same area to try and pick up its partner and they're awesome they're they they're fun to reel in but it's not like it's not long and arduous it's it's an easy reel in but it's fun and you get these these things and they're dude, delicious um and it's just i feel i'm all for basic like sustainability like you know not overfishing not trawling not netting not doing stuff on a massive scale but like simple like everyone for themselves and and the way we do it is i mean i'll fish and if i catch a fish everything gets eaten everything gets given away i never sell fish i i give it to the owner of the dive company owner of the boat gets a share if customers want some and they have a way to cook it they can get a share and then my crew mainly gets a share and i get a share and you know we we use everything and we eat the meat and the even the head and the bones and stuff we'll use that for chum for fishing and mm-hmm. we're diving and everything gets put to use so i'm a i'm a big advocate for you know small time hunting and fishing and and using every part that you can nothing goes to waste 
Yeah, hundred percent, man. I'm with you. Now you also mentioned that you're tying up your own lures. Now uh, talk about that. Uh, my buddy Andrew Ellis is. Uh, I've always worked with him. He's one of my mentors, and uh, he started into trawling and fishing deep sea. And uh, he has always made his own lures. So I'm I'm kind of getting into that, and it's, I'm still starting out. It's a challenge. It's a uh, not easy working with, you know, molten hot and melted lead and then acrylic and casting resin and all uh-huh. that stuff. But it's fun, like, painting them. And, yeah, I'm just in a trial and error stage right now. I'm, I'm kind of seeing what works, what reacts to the casting resin, what that doesn't, what I can put in there. And um, thinking about doing, like, some little abstract things. Even if they don't work for catching fish, at least they'll be kind of artistic and pretty, like, like sea glass lures yeah man that's cool a little artistry which kind of folds into i mean your photography as well so here we are talking about you being in the water running boats being underwater working with animals clients scuba diving we'll get into spearfishing and stuff in a sec but there's also this artist artistic side of you which is i think is rad you know um talking about creating lures which is an art into itself, but also taking photos, man. So where did you first get started with photography and what are you doing with it today? Always kind of just been into, I don't know, something's alerted me about capturing images, whether it's, you know, macro stuff or textures or, you know, I, I really got into it after I started traveling and I saw all the, you know, amazing, beautiful places that I was going to and all the colors and shapes and everything it kind of, really drew me in and so i i figured i'd i'd capture th- some of those to keep them and there's also the fact that i have a terrible memory and so if i don't take pictures <laughs> everything i do and so i <laughs> always try to document so i can remember the good times i had because i'll forget yesterday like it was yesterday but i i started out once i got my first dslr camera when i was maybe like 19 20 I just I started getting more into it, and then I started getting into shooting models and stuff, and I really liked the like every, just everything about it. Um, when I was in San Diego, California, and I my buddy Justin and I started up a dive shop. He he ran this uh, shop called PB Sports that we built together by our own hands, and then managed it. And yeah, we did the first scuba skate surf themed calendar kind of thing. Oh, cool. And, uh, we did, we did photos for that, and it was really fun, and it really kind of got me into it. And then, so today, it's like, do you always have the camera by your side when you're out in the water? No, not always. If it's, I mean, on random days, I'll bring it out, or if it's uh, usually on Niihau charters, like the long charters, I'll, I'll bring it out because it's completely wild out there. You never know what you're going to see, but on local charters, normally, I'm, I'm just trying to focus on doing good for people and make everyone have a great time, and I know it's around there. As strange as it sounds, like turtles are like squirrels to me. <laughs> Everyone, see, I love when people get stoked about turtles, and it's awesome. But sea turtles, we have the best diving with sea turtles on the globe here in Kauai. And um, thanks to, to our al- healthy algae-based reef system. But I see turtles like they're squirrels standing on the mainland. So I'm like, oh, sweet. <laughs> Sometimes I'll take a picture if they get really close and it's like, I feel like it's ideal, but it's, it's, I'm blessed to be able to say like turtles are no big thing. Dolphins I see all the time. It's like, I, 
I'm totally happy that I can be nonchalant about a pot of dolphins or turtles because I see them always. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty special to be able to say, man, for sure. If so, and you probably have like four zillion turtle shots just in your or your archives because you know you just they're always out there. But do you have like a favorite photo of of either a person, a place, or or, or an animal or something that you stands out for you? Yeah, I mean some of my you know photos I surprised myself in and i kind of like i'm like wow that was really good one that i can think of off the bat is when i was in san diego and i was shooting for that calendar shoot um i had a model who we were at la jolla cove and we were just she was just modeling with a, a scuba tank a neon scuba tank with neon sunglasses i think or something and just an all-black bikini and right as i went to take the photo like this wave splashed up and it's like the photo I got is seconds before her just getting doused with all this weight, like water. Oh. It's completely dry. And there's this giant wave that you can see in the photo that's like inches from her. And I got the whole wave and everything. And it was just like the most perfectly timed photo I've ever taken. And it was perfect. Yeah. You couldn't have staged that even if you tried, probably. <laughs> Not at all. Did she get beat down by that? Was she okay? <laughs> oh no, it wasn't like it wasn't a heavy, heavy uh, soaking, but it was just perfect for it. Was. It was pretty mild. She just got a little splash, and it was all good. Yeah, cool. So then, you kind of grew up scuba diving, you know, bringing air down with you, and then it, you mentioned you're also into spear fishing and free diving. So, kind of, how'd you transition into that? I mean, where, when did you kind of adopt that as well? Well, spearfishing is huge here in Hawaii, and so I, I was never really super into it until, like, the last couple of years. Um, I, you know, no matter how fun your job is and how awesome it is, no matter what you do, no matter how much you love it, you do it enough, and it becomes a job. And so yeah. scuba diving was definitely kind of a thing. That's why I transitioned more into captaining, because now when I do dive, I love it. But it was I was getting kind of burnt out from scuba diving and guiding. And so I started captaining and then I started thinking about getting back in the water. And I, I don't know, I was just curious about new challenges and uh, new adventures and spearfishing and freediving especially is something that I'm not good at. I, I don't, I can't hold my breath very well. So it's like, I'm working up to it. It's more of a challenge. It's something way more challenging. Scuba diving is just, you know, breathing gas and swimming around. It's easy. It's a great sport for but I mean, I wanted something that was a little more challenging. And so freediving, I'm, you know, training myself to prepare my lungs and get underwater and feel comfortable underwater without a tank on my back. And it's, it, it's amazing. It goes into so many aspects of things where you have to, you know, be able to slow your heart rate and then control your head and your thoughts. And it's kind of like, it's almost like a meditation kind of thing. Yeah, it really is. And that's one of the aspects that I love about it too, is that like, you know, your mind's going a thousand miles a minute when you're on land or, you know, doing your stuff, but freediving is an opportunity to slow down. You know, it's funny because when I go out freediving and I don't slow down, I don't consciously slow down because I'm amping to get in the water and go after some fish. And I'm just like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just too, way too amped. I can hold my breath like half, not half, but way less than when I go, I kind of just ease into it and kind of yeah. focus my thoughts and maybe even do like a little body scan or some kind of mini kind of meditation, just to get clut clear the clut out of your head. It's amazing how much longer underwater you can hold your breath when you do that. It's, it's so cool when you get into that mindset and you're like, you know, sometimes you're not in the mindset and sometimes you can't get into it. But then when you are, you know, and you're like, whatever I did was good. 
It yeah. Works. Yeah. It's all about just that headspace. You need to be in the right headspace. I mean, you could get lucky, but a lot of times it's just really clearing your mind, slowing your heart rate. And I, I am totally enthralled with like the free divers and spear fishermen that can go down and do like two, three minutes on the reef and just oh, wait. Yeah. So, like, I'm always scrambling down trying to just shoot whatever I can eat as yeah. soon as I can. I know it is amazing when you, when you see people like that, you know, for sure. But now kind of tied to that a little bit too, is another aspect of what you're doing is not on the water, but on land is working out, man, is bodybuilding. And you know, you're, that's a big part of your life as well. So, so talk about that as well, how you started that. And is there any kind of overlap or connection with just being in the water and just, you know, the flow of being in the ocean and the flow of just in your mind, whatever that is, when you're working out and, you know, hitting the weights. I mean, is there any kind of connection there? There's absolutely, I mean, the only connection is me. They're, they're absolutely abstract and opposite of each other. Like, <laughs> the worst thing to, to be a dive instructor or diver and then also do bodybuilding. Because number one, like wetsuits don't fit. Uh, <laughs> my air consumption is horrible because I, I more muscle means you know more oxygen used so even from <laughs> scuba diving i breathe through a tank in like 50 minutes when i should last an hour and a half and um you also you wake up like you go to work and you dive and then you're achy and you don't know if you're bent or you're just sore from lifting so oh man it's horrible it's ter- i wouldn't suggest it for anyone keep the <laughs> hobbies separate <laughs> but it is doable i do sink really well but I actually, I'm getting back into bodybuilding. I, I had a, I was in the hospital for a while and uh, I was in a coma and had organ failure and all this stuff. So I'm kind of, I'm getting back into bodybuilding, but it, I was, I was really, really into it. And I was going to do competitions and compete. And um, after my surgery, I'm left with a bunch of scars on my belly and stuff. So my kind of competing option went out the window, but you know, I'm still trying to, you know, stick with it and stay healthy at least. Dude, good. Well, just glad to hear you're back, and I'm sure that's a pretty major life sort of interruption there. But glad you're back on it, man. I could you could see in some of the pictures too, like a scar here and there. You know, uh, God, that's crazy, man. So, so now then, I mean, like you said, muscle in the water. I mean, how do you questions this? A long day on on the water. You know, being on a boat kind of beats you. You're in the sun. You're hot. You're tired. I mean, how do you muster up energy to then go to the gym after that? It just kind of grows on you. I mean, it's what normal people, like, I mean, what anyone else thinks is a, you know, whatever you find normal is normal. Like, you go to, you know, your real estate job or you go to your construction job. I mean, it's all the same. You get you get tired doing anything. I mean, I just, you get used to being on the water. It's, it's just what I do. It's yeah. where I'm comfortable, so... It's just a day at work. It doesn't seem like it's extra stress. Like I don't, I don't get sunburnt. I don't, I don't wrap up and cover up with all these little, you know, face wrap things that they have advertised now. I just, right. my, I guess my body's just kind of. Uh, luckily, I have you know genes or capabilities. My body just adapts to the sun and the salt, and I'm always salty. My girlfriend will tell you that I'm <laughs> I always taste like salt no matter what. That was on me. That's not a bad thing at all, man. I love when I'm salty and sandy and there's sand in the sheets and stuff. It means you've been out in the water. <laughs> I don't think I've, since I've been like 15 years old and living at home, I don't think I've ever had a bed that has not had sand in it. <laughs> yeah, Just that's rad. <laughs> so, Greg, then what do you think, man? I mean, 60 years in Kauai, uh, is this going to be home for you? I mean, any, any thoughts there? 
it's it's, it's kind of like my home base right now. I the longer I stay here, the more itchier my feet get, and I do want to travel and I want to get out to South Pacific. And I, I really actually two of my best friends are from South Africa that I worked with in St. Martin, and I really want to go to Joburg and go to Umkamas and Durban and oh uh, yeah, all the diving out there. Uh, South Africa really kind of draws me, and then um, I want to do Southeast Asia and all that kind of stuff. But uh, for now. Yeah, this is the longest place I've been in my adult life, so I got a lot of tools, and I can't send those somewhere else, so <laughs> I've, I've, I've kind of grounded myself by my, my plants and my tools in the garden, plants in the garden, tools in the shade. Yeah, man, the stuff, that's true, that's how it works out usually, you're you're planting roots from, from your plants and your tools and everything, but it sounds like you've got a pretty rad setup, man, and it's been fun, it's fun hearing about it, you know, and uh, I just appreciate you taking time to share with all of us you know and and so any plugs i mean you're running tours and stuff can you can you tell us again the the, the company you're with and uh so folks listening might who are out there might want to pop up over and, and check you out and get out yeah if you guys want to come out to Kauai, uh fathom five divers we're located like right in poipu in uh or Kaloa, old Kaloa town there's plenty of places to stay and there's amazing diving all around the south shore um and there's plenty of other companies. If you just snorkel, uh, there's companies I can recommend for that. Uh, if you guys, if you're not certified, it's you don't have to be certified to dive. We can do Discover diving courses, so you, you don't have to be certified. You can scuba dive. Just show up and you know book your trip a couple days beforehand, and you can go out and see what it's all about. And if you like it, you get certified and you get discounts for. Um, going from a Discover course to a full certification. Cool. A lot of options, man. That's killer. Well, Greg, dude, thank you so much for sharing today, taking time. Appreciate all of it, man. And good luck in the future. And uh, keep keep doing it, man. Keep staying salty. <laughs> Always will. Yeah. Well, look forward to our next conversation. Awesome, man. Yeah, hopefully it'll be in person with me out in Kauai or if you're ever in the Santa Cruz area when I get a dive in Monterey and the Kelp Forest and all that stuff, man, I'm here. So hit me up. Hey, I'll be here if you want to dive with sharks and monk seals and shoot some big fish. Or if I uh, if I'm up that way, I'll definitely want you to get help get me uh, some abalone. Yeah, excellent, man. All right, man. Hey, well, thanks so much. Really appreciate talking with you today. All right, mahalos. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening uh, to another podcast episode. Can't do it without you. And uh, so thrilled to have you here supporting uh, myself and the podcast and all the guests uh, continually. Always appreciate a positive um, rating on your uh, your podcast app, whether it be you know Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it. Just helps helps grow the podcast and uh, spread awareness. So thanks for that. And then any uh, social media mentions, always super appreciative. And uh, if you know somebody who you think would be great to have on the podcast to share the, about their ocean life please hit me up. I'd love to chat with them. Or if you think you'd like to, let me know. Uh, Email is josh at thisoceanlife.tv. All right. Thanks, guys.